Hello and welcome to the British Haunting Podcast. Last week, I spoke about ghosts and demons, essentially a 101 of what you may encounter in your home or a haunted place. This week, we will take a look at people who deliberately seek out entities from the other side and people who are perhaps a little more susceptible to seeing the dead. Collectively, they are people among us that, through one form or another, communicate and engage with the other side. It's worth remembering that you, the listener, might be one of these people. You just don't know it yet. And uh, welcome back to Dan, who returns this week after Boris Johnson and his scheming lockdown attempted to haunting podcast welcome back dan hello you're right i'm very you good yeah not bad not bad at all i'm ready i've got i just went and got a beer so i'm quite ready oh fantastic um if, if it sounds if the audio for you the listener sounds a little bit different this week it's because we are speaking from different places so i'm in my hometown dan's in his and uh through the magic of wizardry and podcast apps uh, we're able to bring you this uh, this podcast, so please bear with us as we try and figure this out. We're not the most technically gifted people. Well, I, Dan might be. I'm not sure. Dan? Uh, no, I couldn't this? say. No, I, I'm, I'm using a headset and uh, I'm sat with this. It's the first time we've done this, isn't it? So here we yeah. go. We're ready. I'm ready. I feel like I'm uh, talking to a call call center operative and you're going to help me i don't know fix my internet or something yeah yeah your router you need a new router well we've also uh, for you the listener we've also got your favorite regular feature uh spirit of the week which spirit we... of the week spirit of the week so hold tight take a deep breath and get ready for the british haunting podcast This is episode three of the British Haunting Podcast. This week, we are working on the theme of talking with the dead. I'm talking with Dan. Hi, Dan. Hello. (laughs) You're still alive? I am. I'm I'm ready. I mean, even if I wasn't alive, it would be quite fitting, wouldn't it? I think if if you... Can we just make this guarantee now that, you know, if... uh, if one of us does pop our clogs in an untimely fashion, you know, halfway through, say, like a season of, of these podcasts, the, the other one will try to communicate with them via some device of some sort um, and put them on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, it would mean that the other person de facto becomes spirit of the week every week. <laughs> so. Oh, that would be good. They, they oh, could bring yeah. us information, couldn't they, from the other side? They could. Again, it might change the nature of the podcast somewhat. <laughs> we'll, ma- we'll make a believer, believer of you yet. Um, so I'm ready, for, I'm ready for what types of people can talk to the other side. Have you got that for me, or am I just going to have to find someone else? Um, no, no, Dan, I, I have that. Uh, so sit back, everyone, and... Uh, enjoy this week's podcast so again as dan's just said we're looking at types of people who can talk to the other side now technically uh in in theory anybody can but we know that there's certain types of people who are more susceptible or perhaps more trained or have that extra gift to be able to talk to the other side or talk to something um so we want to start off really by looking at psychics there are some uh some uh distinct 
differences that we need to make. So some people will assume that psychics, clairvoyance and mediums are all the same thing in many ways they are, but uh, there are some distinct differences. Um, so really, if we're looking at a definition of a psychic. A psychic is a person who claims to use extrasensory perception or ESP to identify information uh, hidden from normal senses, um, particularly involving telepathy or clairvoyance uh, or performing acts that are apparently inexplicable uh, by natural laws. Um, sometimes these are done for, you know, for sort of, uh, for uh, serious purposes, if we want to call it that. Someone might, you know, want to speak to uh, someone, someone who's died in their family or they want to have it for entertainment purposes. And some people have made a, a nice packet of money out of this, actually, um, and done really, really well for themselves. Now, people like, so for example, Darren Brown, uh, who's believed by many to have psychic abilities, but despite him denying and denouncing such abilities, uh, which makes him re a really interesting candidate under um, psychics, but not psychic. Um, Dan, do, do you reckon he'd come on the podcast? After all, I am, I reckon, his biggest fan. I think you're possibly one of his biggest fans. Whether he'll come on the podcast, I don't know. I think maybe post-lockdown we could invite him. You know, oh, he's uh, someone who I think would be a good, interesting person to bring in. I don't know if you know he does paintings as well. He does. They're amazing. Have you seen them? Like, they're huge. I have seen them online, and anyone who's listening should go and look for them because I don't think he's someone who puts out there necessarily as his primary thing but they're definitely very very good yeah they are a, a psychic as well as an entertaining artist in many many uh, forms of the word right um moving on a little bit from darren because we don't know if we're going to be able to get him on the show but if you've got his number do let us know um there are really elaborate systems of uh, divination and fortune telling within uh, the world of psychics that date back to ancient times. We know Dan loves a bit of history, so uh, and you, the listener, do as well. So, and perhaps the most widely known system of early civilization fortune telling was astrology, actually, where practici practitioners believed the relative positions of celestial bodies, stars, and etc., could lend insight into people's lives and even predict their future circumstances. Um, some fortune tellers said to be able to make predictions without the use of these elaborate systems uh, through some sort of direct apprehensional vision, vision of the future. And these people are known as seers and prophets and later times clairvoyants and psychics. You're still there, Dan. I am. He I'm is. Yeah. Again, bear with us this week, uh, you wonderful listeners. If uh, if it goes silent at all, we are relying on uh, Wi-Fi. I do feel like I am talking to someone in a call centre. Uh, but Dan's helping me with my router, aren't you, Dan? I am. Have you seen the blue light? Uh, yes, and it's flashing. Is that a good thing? I, I, it means there's a spirit near you. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, for the second week running, we might have spiritual activity here in the British Haunting Podcast Studio, which looks remarkably like my bedroom. But um, don't be fooled, it's definitely a studio. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm in my studio. I've got egg boxes on the wall. It's all good. Oh, man. Everyone knows egg boxes holds out spirits, though, Dan. What are you doing? Only chicken spirits. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but getting back on point... Um, we want to go back to the mid-19th century. It's where modern spiritualism became prominent in uh, both the United States and, and the United Kingdom. So modern spiritualism essentially is uh, where psychic abilities start getting put in some kind of shape, some kind of form and, you know, something we can start to define. Whereas before it might have just been 
you know, something that a local uh, villager might have said, oh, I've been able to pre- predict the future of me, and, you know, and it didn't really have a name for it or anything like that. So it's uh, at this point, it started actually taking some kind of shape. That was a beautiful accent, by the way. Oh, thanks. I'll be working um, on it. Oh, you've been able to divine the future, I have. I have by using little magic sticks and holding them together and finding water holes. Water holes. <laughs> um, Carry anyway. on, sorry. Yeah, we all do. Um, but anyway, so the, the, this uh, modern spiritualism movement became really prominent and it was fueled in part by anecdotes of psychic powers. One such person believed to have extraordinary abilities was a guy called Daniel Douglas. Home, who uh, gained fame during the Victorian period for his reported ability to levitate to various heights and speak to the dead. That sounds pretty impressive. It's not bad, is it? When when you say various various heights, do you yeah. know how high? Um, I know that he was reported to be able to go, uh, say, for example, up to about twelve or thirteen feet in some instances, but often it was just a couple of feet off the floor. Sounds good. Do you think he ever used it for good? Um, I think he might have used it to uh, increase the size of his bank account. Uh, I, I see. I'm seeing some theme here. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it, you know, did he ever speak to the dead? Well, did you say he spoke to the dead? Yes. Yeah. Apparently, he did. Um, so uh, yeah, and uh, and that was in various capacities. So it might be you know in a way to be able to help someone out who needs to speak to a dead family member, or it might be to just show this power that he allegedly had. Sounds good. Yeah, but that that nicely leads us on to the next distinction under that psychic umbrella. Um, which, Wait, um, hold on. <laughs> a psychic umbrella. Yes, the psychic umbrella. It's not an act. It, it's a metaphor, Dan. It's something. It's not something you hold over your head to stop clairvoyant rain or something. I like think that. it should be. Uh, I think you know. Have you been pestered by ghosts? Are you constantly getting very wet by ghosts? Oh, that's, that sounds quite rude, actually. I apologise. Psychic umbrella, though, is it like a golfing umbrella, maybe? It could be. Do you know what? That gives me an idea. That could be the next piece of merch that we put onto the uh, British Haunting. Yeah, yeah. Have you used your psychic umbrella recently? (laughs) Well, going on the metaphor rather than the actual physical and tangible object of this psychic umbrella, uh, within, well, you've really thrown me, under that is uh, clairvoyance and mediums. So um, let's really distinguish between clairvoyance and mediums, although, to be fair, it is quite hard. So uh, clairvoyance, uh, which is an odd word, but it actually comes from the French, uh, meaning uh, clair, meaning clear, and voyance, meaning vision, or uh, together that comes in as clear seeing. And it's the claimed ability to gain information about an object, a person, location, or even a physical event through extrasensory perception. And any person uh, who is claimed to have such abilities said accordingly to be a clairvoyant or one who sees clearly. Do you think that there is somebody called Clairvoyant you can find on Facebook or something? Oh, I hope so. I really Mr. do. Mr. and Mrs. Voyant thought I'm going to really fuck with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Voyant and John Voyant, they're, they're all right. But Clairvoyant, now we've had it. We've had our first daughter. We yeah, cannot we... not call her Claire. <laughs> we saw her coming. Ba-dum. Yeah, exactly. Ba-dum. Magic. Carry on. Okay, but uh, yeah, but essentially it pertains to the ability of clear-sightedness, and 
clairvoyance refers to the paranormal ability so again something beyond what is normal uh to see persons and events that are distant in time or space um it can be divided into roughly three classes so uh, if you've got your pen and paper people at home um clairvoyance goes into three classes you've got precognition which is the ability to perceive or predict future events retrocognition the ability to see past events and remote viewing, the perception of contemporary events happening outside of the range of normal perception. Um, any thoughts on that, Dan? I I have retrocognition. You have what, sorry? Retrocognition. Oh, yeah. Well, the the ability well. to see past events. So I use a book. Ah, I use the History Channel. Okay. Oh, nice. There you yeah. go. Look yeah. at us retrocognizing all over the place. Can you imagine though using retro cook yeah, retrocognizing, if that's even such a thing, back in like, you know, the eighteenth century, it's like, oh, you know, there was this king and he's definitely said that I was gonna be king next, and they've got no way of proving it. Just you know, they'd have to go off of the, what this person was saying. Oh, that's the sort of thing that gets one burnt at the stake, that is. <laughs> is you're a witch? Hello, I'm the next king. Uh, no, don't get out of my hands. Let me go. Uh, well, I didn't vote for you. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work out. And uh, you know, there are certain people that will tell you this. Tell you the same. Really, yeah. doesn't work out. No, no precognizing. I re- just don't precognize. I reckon that's the. If if you take any message from this podcast, it's mm-hmm. don't tell kings that you're the next king. No. Without, without due evidence. It won't work out for you. It just won't work. But looking into where that actual ability of clairvoyance or clear seeing actually takes place, because I, I don't just mean, you know, where that person's going to book a hall for that week. I mean, where it's, you know, if we, for example, if uh, we're feeling happy, we can locate it perhaps to the release of endorphins in one part of the brain or something like that. So with clairvoyance, uh, this site, this clear site, occurs in what's been paraphrased as the mind's eye or the, the third eye. And some, some mediums say that this is their normal vision state, whilst others say that they must train their minds um, with such practices as meditation in order to achieve this ability. And that assistance from spiritual helpers is often necessary. And that's the real distinction here. Um, clairvoyant uh, clairvoyant mediums can see a spirit as though the spirit has a physical body and they'll see the bodily form as if it were physically present whilst other mediums see the spirit in their mind's eye or it appears almost like a movie or a television program or a still picture like a photograph in their mind which is pretty cool wouldn't you imagine it to be really annoying though after a while i'm hoping i would imagine if we're talking about this what we're saying is that that person is able to tune in to certain things yes so if you're not able to do that bearing in mind that the world so far is 13.6 billion years old if not more there would be a rather large amount of ghosts about or other spirits that and and you'd just be there'd be so many that you wouldn't be able to uh, function there were too many too many it was many. yeah I mean, there's there's um i don't know if you've seen that uh that program or a comedy program on bbc one called ghosts yes we started watching it, actually fantastic show uh if uh, you're listening to this and you haven't started watching it do do give it a watch it is very, very funny but without giving anything away uh there's a couple that move into a house and 
um, there's lots of ghosts that live there. And interestingly, they're all from different time periods. So um, that kind of would tie in with what Danska said there. And it's uh, perhaps in that respect, although it's very lighthearted, very funny, it's potentially more accurate, would you say? I would say that I like the premise of having different uh, periods of ghosts all being in one sort of place. Uh, it's similar possibly to where they were deceased. I guess that would go with some theories that already exist. Yes. Yeah, completely agree. Um, but uh, just moving on to the uh, to the element of mediumship, um, because that's obviously where we start then communicating or, you know, having someone who's actually actively communicating rather than just seeing them. So clairvoyance is the clear seeing. Mediums differ. Uh, so mediums and the practice practice of mediumship differs from clairvoyance in how the other world or the others uh, are engaged. Um, although it should be noted that many mediums are also clairvoyant and vice versa. But whereas clairvoyance is basically listening, me, um, is basically seeing, sorry, mediumship is basically listening. So cl uh, clairaudience is clear hearing so it's not a word we hear we usually hear clairvoyance which is the clear seeing we don't hear clairaudience which is clear hearing and it's usually defined as the ability to hear the voices or thoughts of spirits and some mediums hear as though they're listening to a person talking to them on like the outside of their head as though the spirit is next to or near the medium um, other mediums hear the voices in their minds as a verbal thought that's perhaps more troublesome would you say yeah, I think it would be quite distracting. Um, I would also take issue with the word mediumship for a moment. <laughs> uh, mediumship. Is there such a thing as large ship, extra large ship, triple extra large ship? Do, do you gradually, as you get older, move from mediumship to large ship and always look back lamenting the loss of the days of the mediumship? Or do you, do you think, actually, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in the ship now that I'm in? Really. Are, you, are you suggesting that you can give birth to a small ship? I, I, I don't know, really, maybe. I mean, I'm not the expert on this, mm. really, but I'm just wondering. Um, but anyway, going back to hearing spirits all the time, I also like the idea of clear audience or clear hearing. It sounds like something you'd get advertised for headphones as well. Though, <laughs> you know, you know that, that that's crystal clear hearing I've got there. You know, there's mediums that are, uh, you know, they're, they're more expensive. You're going to see them and they're like, why are you triple the price of Sandra down the road? Well, I've got the clear hearing, whereas she's got slightly, she's not as crisp. Yeah, you know, as crisp as I am, very crisp. You would, you would shit yourself though, wouldn't you, if you went for a, a hearing test, say like at your local Boots, which for anyone outside this country, it's it's a large pharmacy chain in the UK. You can go along for a hearing test. Imagine popping along there and they're doing like the test. Can you hear that beep? And all of a sudden, you hear the dead spirit of Elvis Presley just start talking to you. Oh yeah, no, that's the new player audience hearing aids. Yeah, you can always hear Elvis. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. And um, going back to the BBC comedy Ghosts, I think one of the things that is really good in it, and you know, while I'm not necessarily a believer in ghosts, I, I am, um, for people that don't know, a mental health practitioner, I think the fact that she's quite distracted a lot of the time would be how you act if yeah. there are ghosts about. If you're in normal life and um, and, and you're constantly being dragged into other people's conversations that other people can't see, you would act in that way. And I think it's a very good depiction of that, of how you'd act with ghosts and also how you'd act if you were hearing voices and other people couldn't hear them. 
Yeah, yeah. I think one, one thing to point out on that, and it's, it's very interesting, is that the character on that program readily sees these uh, ghosts, can't not see them, and uh, and communicates as if they were just people living in her house. Um, with mediumship, uh, the practice of purportedly mediating, which is obviously where the mediumship comes from, um, mediating communication between spirits of the dead and living human beings, um, they, they'll use certain techniques. Of pra- Again, the practitioners are known as mediums or spirit mediums, and there's different types of mediumship or spirit channeling, as it's sometimes uh, referred to. Um, these different methods include seance tables, uh, trance, and Ouija boards. Um, so these are actual devices that people would then use. And you can start to see the, perhaps the, the possible danger. That I mean, there's lots of things we can talk about within the danger of consulting something that you don't understand. But if you're uh, say a, a, a regular uh, lay person, you know, and you're, you're doing something, engaging something that technically, according to this, would, you know, require lots of training. It could be quite, uh, quite dangerous in that respect. Um, but there's, there are several different variants of mediumship um, that have been described. And um, arguably, arguably, the uh, best known forms involve a spirit purportedly taking control of a medium's voice and using it to relay a message, which is always a classic, or where the medium simply hears the message and passes it on. Um, other forms of, uh, just before I move on from that, actually, but hearing a message and passing it on, uh, Dan, do you think there's a possibility of some kind of spiritual Chinese whispers there? Uh, possibly, yes, absolutely. I think there's a difficult, there's a difficulty where it's, oh, you know, I'm getting a message. I'm getting a message from Dave. He says the horse is in the melange. Sorry, what? You know, I, he's worth. Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. Uh, what, what else does he say? Um, and you can't, you can't. It's very difficult to know but luckily most people tend to hear them and go oh yeah i know exactly what you mean that's brilliant yeah you know so it's it's good to know <laughs> it's it's worth noting that um the other other forms of how these sort of spirits materialize or the presence of that voice um is uh is through uh, telekinetic activity uh and again the, the methods we've um, we've just heard but um, with that particular point, with the telekinetic activity, um, it's actually that practice is associated with several religious belief systems, um, such as shamanism, uh, spiritualism, and voodoo. Oh, you say shamanism? Yes. You know, I, I could probably tell you about shamanism if you really want to know. Well, I think in this respect that we okay. probably should know a bit about it because um, uh, it, it's quite important to uh, to this picture we're developing. I mean, I will. I will warn you that it is quite haute uh, couture. People are very sort of uh, keen on shamanism. A lot of people know what it is, but also uh, it's not British in itself. But I will direct it back to Britain because there, there are people that do similar things. So, I mean, if you're if you're really ready for this, I'm, I'm ready. I'm sitting back. I've got my tea in my hand. Then go for it. What tea is it, by the way? Uh, it's Yorkshire tea decaffeinated. That's good. I've got a lot of Yorkshire things coming up later, so Ooh, I'm ready. Anyway, broadly speaking, shamanism is a religious practice that involves a practitioner known as a shaman yeah. who is believed to interact with the spirit world through altered states of consciousness, such as ecstasy or trance. Now, I mean, you mentioned trance earlier. This, for the educated listener, isn't trance music, oh. although... It could be, 
you know. Okay. I mean, I don't know. There's probably a shaman out there who mixes their practice <laughs> with the art of trance. You'd hope so, you know. Yeah, I'd imagine so. EDM, maybe. <laughs> um, the goal of this is usually to direct these spirits or spiritual energies into the physical world for healing or some other purpose. Mm. Now, the, the writer who you might know, Mercia Eliadi, says that shamans cross, and this is the thing that's interesting, I suppose, and it links up to everything, you know, shamans cross different realms of existence to communicate directly with animals, plants, and spirits. They mediate between the living and the realm of spirits, so-called upper and lower realms of existence. Characters who are termed shaman might use something called an entheogen. Do you know what an entheogen might be? I think you better enlighten us on that one, Dan. Well, I'm going to. It's basically drugs. Peyote, tobacco, psilocybin, ayahuasca, iboga, fly agaric, um, these sort of things. So if we're not... Uh, or some of these we're talking about. So psilocybin is the uh, is the chemical that's in magic mushrooms. That's right. Yeah. Ayahuasca is that link between these two sort of things that people for thousands of years. So two chemicals that people indigenous to certain parts of the world brought together. Yeah. Um, long before we even knew how to do very much, <laughs> really, mm. I guess. Um, and iboga is, I believe, a bark from a particular tree. Um, there's lots of things. And uh, these are used in a concoction to enable shaman in a very particular social context to engage with the spirit world. Mm. And uh, entheogen, if, if you're of any again interest it means generating the divine within so i suppose what that means is that we're we're looking to use these uh entheogens to as you said earlier open that third eye yes um did you know spirits will decide if you are able to become a shaman i didn't know that yeah yeah so it's not uh not necessarily that you begin your nbq in shamanism but that you would start on the process and then you might get chosen. So, mm. um, so wandering off from Britain a little bit there, but I'll bring you back oh, thanks. just for a moment. Oh, actually, hang on. I've got a script here and it's going off a bit. Oh, yeah. In the Central Asian context that we're talking in, and again, I'm, I'm at pains to remind people that we're talking about um, shamans in a particular context, but a lot of it, these days is is commodified and, and become a little bit of the uh it's a bit fashionable but we're trying to be specific the spirits that we're talking about are everything that exists people plants objects animals um while we're um well for some reason in this country especially when we talk about the spirits we're quite sort of uh black and white about it we're thinking that there are people that have died that spirits in this culture we're talking about everything um but also while ancestors and master spirits which are ghosts beyond material realms exist all of the spirits know everything and they're not tied to anything are bodiless and can get everywhere and therefore know everything so when you tap into that understanding of a spirit you're also tapping into a universal knowledge of everything that is and has passed 
whether... can, I, can I just can I just comment yeah. on that a second, Dan? Because yes. um, obviously, you know, we're we're looking at shamanism, and um, in a in a, I know we're going to go back to you're going to bring it back to England in a moment, but obviously, a form of that within England or within the UK, even in Europe, uh, that's perhaps more familiar to people would be the idea of spiritualism. And that that method you was talking about within the spiritualism would be known as channeling. Um, channeling is basically the modern form of the old mediumship where the channel or channeler purportedly receives messages from a teaching spirit or an ascended master from God or from an angelic entity, but essentially for a filter of his own waking consciousness or, or higher self. I just find that really interesting how, you know, obviously yeah. shamanism picks up on that similar element. Well, as I said before, I think a lot of this hacks into what's uh, deep at the heart of being human, and mm. um, we can't help but find parallels um, in that or psychological way, which is the way I look at it. Yeah. Now, whether there are spirits in all of these things is always up for a debate. I'd be considering how the levels of intimacy, the ecstasy, the altered states of consciousness, and I've written it in inverted commas, affect your empathy levels and open your third eye, mm. otherwise known as increasing your serotonin and do dopamine output in that situation. Mm. But all of this is Central Asian. And um, remind me again, what, what podcast is this called? Sorry. This is the British Haunting Podcast, Dan. Bring it back. Fuck, I will. I will. So I'll just say, we have a similar paradigm and parallels in this country. Shaman, cunning folk, druids, mm. wizards, warlocks. Yes. Keeping it ghostly and spiritual, we're going to the other world. Yes. Something that I would like to call the Anun. The Anun. Which is uh, from, for essentially, the Celtic. There's a website I found, and I, I you know, I, I think it's highly unlikely that that person would be listening, but it was the Celtic Earth Spirit website. <laughs> Very good. And uh, essentially, they're speaking this about the Brythonic Otherworld, very often referred to as the Celtic Otherworld. Ah. It's a world apart from the one we know and live in. It's hidden, magical place, inhibited by mysterious and magical people and beings, where the law of physics and totally and it's totally different to those in this world. It confounds our concepts of space and time. Nope. Uh, perhaps the idea from this website, and I think is uh, sort of basically emblematic of what they're talking about, is that perhaps, and again going back to the shamans of that Central Asian context we were talking about and uh, South American, of course, is that maybe while we're all in the same geographical space, there may be different, different frequency levels and vibration rates at which energy operates in different systems and separates them out. And there are special times and indeed special places where by a freak of what's referred to as physics or frequencies, we may be able to achieve crossover points where people can tap between these things and... Uh, some of these places could be known as thin places mm. because they're the. And in our first episode together, we talked about Halloween and we talked about this sort of dividing line where there's some thin, um, you know, we could cross over a boundary. Yeah. yeah. So, so when we're talking about shaman, wizards, warlocks, whatever you want to say, we're talking about people that have a way of being able to um, allow us to cross over those boundaries and understand things that aren't readily available to what we can see. Yeah, yeah. 
That's um, that that is uh, that's pretty insightful. Um, and that uh, what I like about that is it really gives us an idea of that foundation of uh, what essentially within the obviously the the modern sort of Western construct is known as, uh, as as spiritualism. And from that we get spiritualists, which obviously communicate with the dead. I mean, there are uh, other sort of um, if we want to, you know, go back again, sort of millennia. Really, there are examples of these real you know distinct examples of this real kind of communication with uh specifically with the spiritual world with the other world uh attempts to communicate with the dead and other living human beings aka spirits uh they've been documented back to really early human history as you say um one particular uh account which people may be interested it's actually uh, it's actually from the bible uh which may surprise some people thinking that this perhaps contradicts biblical teachings when in fact the bible probably talks more about what we're talking about than any other recorded document and and the example i'm giving is this story of the witch of endor uh which tells of one who raised the spirit of the deceased prophet samuel to allow the hebrew king saul to question his former mentor about an upcoming battle so that again that was real engagement with um you know a spirit from the from the other world and incidentally that can be found in one samuel uh, chapter 28 but for spirit going back again to our modern context spiritualists classify types of mediumship really into sort of two main characters and that's mental and physical uh, mental mediums purportedly tune into the spirit world by listening sensing seeing spirits etc and physical mediums are believed to produce materialization of spirits so um movement of objects uh, knocking rapping bell ringing and i don't mean rapping in the doctor's ray sense uh, you should though you should definitely can you imagine that i'm consulting a rapper and then all of a sudden yeah. you do i can't think of a think of a dead a two-pack there we go i was thinking of a dead rapper we can, can find out what happened we could yeah the mystery well, might be solved. yeah the mystery of notorious big i mean that's, yes. that's oh, yeah. the mystery although there are some people that know who killed him so if you're out there confess thanks very much yeah it'll be uh, perhaps more easier than consulting the dead um so i Really, in this first part, we've looked at um, people who are, you know, perhaps more in tune to that particular world. Um, in part two of this podcast, which we're just about to go into, uh, again, we're looking at types of people who perhaps talk or engage the other side. Um, and we're going to have a very brief look at paranormal investigators and ghost hunters. Welcome back to the British Haunting Podcast, episode three, where we are looking at types of people who can talk to the other side. Uh, we've just had a look at the kind of people who are perhaps more susceptible to hearing, seeing, communicating, engaging, channeling um, the uh, the other side. Um, now we're going to move it into arguably the the, the modern context uh, and for people who don't necessarily have that gift, but um some may some some may not um but either way um they are interested it's probably people like a lot of people who are probably listening to this podcast who are you know very much interested in the world of the paranormal and want to investigate which is handy because we're about to look at paranormal investigators and ghost hunters now ghost hunting the process essentially is uh, the process of investigating locations that are reported to be haunted by ghosts self-explanatory um typically a ghost hunting team will attempt to collect evidence supporting the existence of paranormal activity uh, ghost hunters use a variety of electronic devices um, and, and this is uh, what you know what we 
do ourselves as well. Um, and that will uh, include the use of EMF meters, digital thermometers, both handheld and static digital video cameras, including thermographic, some usually just known as thermos uh, within the uh, within the, the trade and uh, night vision cameras, as well as digital audio recorders. Um, other more traditional techniques are also used, such as uh, conducting interviews and researching the history of allegedly haunted sites. Um, ghost hunters uh, may also refer to themselves as, uh, as paranormal investigators. Um, uh, do you consider yourself a paranormal investigator then? Only on a Tuesday. Only on Tuesday. We thought. Oh, but paranormal research dates back to the 18th century, um, which, uh, you know, we kind of like have this idea that we've been. Uh, chasing spirits for uh, for millennia but actually most of the time we've just kind of like been aware of them and uh, had some kind of communication but actually um researching you know actually uh, in proper what we class as university institutes and things like that goes back to the 18th century um with organizations such as the society for psychical research uh, investigating spiritual matters um perhaps most notably within the uh, within the uk obviously keeping this british uh, would be psychic researcher harry price who uh, published his which sounds quite dodgy confessions of a ghost hunter in 19 that was on channel five wasn't it uh, <laughs> probably wasn't there like a series of films like in the 60s and 70s like confession of a plumber and confession of a builder Wind, or something, window or something cleaner like. yeah yeah yeah, uh, confessions of a bus driver. I remember that. I remember one of my my. I remember my eldest brother telling me about it when uh, I was younger. He's like, "Oh yeah, you got to watch that." And there's some tits on it or something like that. I I don't know. I don't know if there were breasts of any description within Confessions of a Ghost Hunter. Um, all I, I ever all I ever remember about those ones is that the sex scenes were always sped up in a comical fashion. It was all very very strange. <laughs> But maybe just for our, you know, for our own self-confidence, perhaps those sex scenes were at normal speed. This is not the time to bring that up. It's a very good point there, Dan. Uh, talking about Harry Price, though, uh, the uh, confessional ghost bu- uh, ghostbuster, ghost hunter, same thing, I guess, in many ways. Harry Price, uh, who died in 1948, he was a British parapsychology, uh, psychic researcher, and an author who gained public prominence for his investigations into psychical phenomena. But importantly, and I think you'll appreciate this, he's also, as well as well as he's known for his psychical research, he's also as well known for exposing fraudulent spiritualist mediums. Well, that's good. So, uh, you know, he, he I, I'm not sure, obviously, if, again, if you're new to this, if you're new to listening to this podcast, um, uh, Dan can be quite sceptical in many ways and for many reasons. And to, to it must it must be difficult for your mind to get around someone who believes yet tells everyone everyone else is wrong. Interesting. It, it is. I think it's called having a personality disorder. But sure, carry on. I, I probably agree with you on that one. Uh, but it was uh, it was best known for his well publicised investigation. Uh, this is Harry Price of the purportedly haunted Borley Rectory in Essex, England. Borley spelt B O R L E Y. That's Borley Rectory. And uh, if you get a moment, if you're listening to this with a pen and paper or something to jot something down, uh, have a little Google on Borley Rectory, and uh, it's got a, uh, a horrendous history to it. It no longer exists. It got burnt down, but um, it's uh, very, very interesting to uh, to look at. Have um, you considered that Borley Rectory sounds a bit like a physical health complaint? 
<laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I, I went to that. my doctor's and I had. I said, he said, what's wrong? And I said, I've got poorly rectory. And he gave me a cream. Or unless you're trying to say the word poorly and you've got a bad cold and makes it sound even worse. And I've got a poorly rectory. It, it does sound very much like that. Poor Harry Price. He never knew. Neither, yeah. did, his, neither did his son, Fisher Price. No. <laughs> oh, moving on. Um, Edward and Lorraine Warren, uh, which uh, if you if you follow the uh, Instagram and Facebook channels for this uh, uh, for this podcast and this uh, service and website, um, then you would have seen that uh, advertising this pod this week's podcast was uh, uh, there was a picture of Edward and Lorraine Warren, uh, who were perhaps the most well known paranormal investigators ever really um both american um they're paranormal investigators and authors who are associated with prominent reports of hauntings from the 1950s until around about 15 years ago so ed, ed died around about i think it was off the top of my head about 2006 something like that um and lorraine warren she died in 2019 uh and so they, they were they were still investigating up until probably about 20 05 or 2010 somewhere around there it's uh, not quite clear but edward was a demonologist author and a lecturer whilst lorraine was a clairvoyant and a, a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband um do you know what a light trance medium is dan um no but i, I went to a rave that was a bit like that a light trans <laughs> medium sounds amazing doesn't it light trans medium it, it just sounds it like does. it's it's like a light show trans music it's not as big as the other light trans areas, but it's not too small either. Very much a Goldilocks sort of situation, really. Not not so much an emphasis to take E, perhaps. Maybe not. Maybe take another letter of the alphabet. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, just for the uh, for anyone who is actually curious with a light trance medium. So, uh, as mentioned earlier, the uh, you know one of the methods that mediums would use to uh, use to uh, consult the dead uh, is sometimes to go into a, a state of trance to so that then that spirit can communicate through them and that's when their voices might change and things like that a light trance medium uh, works by not losing so much of like their their own consciousness as such they're very much awake and in a normal what you call normal human state really can have a full conversation with them and they're more likely to be able to see the spirits excuse me the spirits there and then and be able to pass on those messages almost instantly. So uh, that's essentially a light trance medium. Sometimes they'll go into a light state of, of, of trance where it's, you know, that you haven't completely lost contact with them. Um, but going back to the Warrens, uh, in 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, um, the, which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England and North America um, up until that that point anyway so they authored no, numerous books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity um incredibly they investigated over ten thousand cases during their career and have been involved with various supernatural investigations such as the snedeker family haunting i will say this clearly again so you can have a little google the snedeker family haunting the enfield poltergeist haunting which took place here in the uh in the uk uh, the Schmurl Haunting, which is uh, spelled S-M-U-R-L, and as well as uh, classic, uh, as well as claims, sorry, of uh, demonic possession in the trial of Arne Cheyenne Johnson, uh, which was an absolute horrendous case. But the, which well, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, possession cases a bit later. Um, but 
the Warrens are probably best known for their involvement in the 1976 Amityville horror case in which New York couple George and Kathy Lutz claimed that their house was haunted by a violent demonic presence. It was so intense. It actually drove them out of their home. Um, they'd only been in there a year. A year uh, prior to them moving in the house, however, six people had been murdered in the house by one of the family members. I think it was by, the, uh, by one of the sons. Um, but I guess I had a nice bathroom, good-sized bedrooms, garden with potential. So who, who cares about a little blood and a horror story, right, Dan? Absolutely. And if I remember rightly, the um, person that showed them around the house had baked cookies freshly. So you, know, you can't turn it down, can you? <laughs> no. Did they have coffee going as well? Again, it's hard to know. But I, I would believe so, knowing Amityville at that time. Yes. <laughs> You'd have to be a heck of a salesman, like a heck of a, was a mortgage, uh, uh, not a mortgage broker, um, an estate agent. That's the one I'm thinking of. You'd have to be an amazing estate agent, wouldn't you, to try and pull that one off? Oh, why, why are the walls red? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's Art Deco or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very much so. We're not allowed down to the basement. Why not? I'm not, I'm not saying, but yes. let's, let's just move on now. Have you seen the chandelier? isn't it wonderful (laughs) right um uh, it's probably a good time um with looking at these things apart from obviously the uh uh, the selling of houses uh but talking about investigating um uh, paranormal disturbances and things like that it's probably a good time to mention that british haunting has a website that will be coming out very very shortly we're hoping within next two weeks if we can uh, where in addition to some tasty merchandise and whether the uh, psychic umbrella is going to make it into that merch, we're unsure. In, in addition to that, you'll be able to access some of British Haunting services, uh, which include, among other things, uh, house cleansings, house exorcisms and paranormal investigations. Uh, we are not a TV show, uh, nor do we make uh, or post pictures, etc., of our investigations. Um, in that sense, we're a, we're a legitimate service provider take your concerns very very seriously uh if you want to get in contact with us before the website goes live if you if you don't want to wait till then you, know, you can contact us at british haunting that's all one word on a uh, small case so british haunting and gmail.com uh, now if that was a plug of the week dan it's probably about time for the exciting intriguing and spooky spirit of the week you're looking forward to it I am. I've got a good one. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting story anyway. Okay. Stay part. Stay tuned for part three, Spirit of the Week, coming up. Hey, it's Spirit of the Week. Spirit of the Week. Oh, I love Spirit of the Week, don't you, Dan? I'm very ready, and I think I've probably cracked the uh, format. I might have broken the format too, because I've got two, so, you know, what can you do? (laughs) Go for it then, then. So, Dan is first. Uh, Who have you got for us this week, Dan? Well, I've got two, like I said. The first one's just an interesting little thing, just for people out there to have a look at. Um, investigate more if you're able to. The internet's a wonderful place. So the first one of Spirit of the Week is thanks for that, is the Black Abbot of Prestbury. Now Prestbury is on the northern outskirts of Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. It's said to be one of England's most haunted villages. 
Its most famous ghost is that of the Black Abbot, who is said to appear at Christmas, Easter, mm-hmm. and All Souls' Days, which is nice, really. It's nice are, you, that... are you sure it's not Jesus? Well, yes. It's I'm not sure, but I know a bloke who is sure. And this bloke, called Derek Stafford, Ooh. on November the 22nd in 1990, as a photographer, Derek was taking pictures in the floodlit churchyard in November, so similar time of year, and he found a hooded figure on his last slide of his photos. And uh, you can see that picture online if you look for it. Now, I googled more to find out more about this. This was going to be my Spirit of the Week. I said to myself, Dan, you found your Spirit of the Week. But uh, <laughs> alas, what did I find? Now, nothing really. I mean, I could have gone into Derek's backstory, his photography work, his NBQs, but no. So I found a new one. I thought, well, if I haven't found that. So I went up north and I went to Newcastle. Ooh. Newcastle, you know, the uh, the site of the football team Newcastle United, Alan Shearer, um, Biker Grove. Biker, Biker. Biker Grove, man. Yeah. Biker Grove. But we're going back in time and we're going to 1792. Oh. Okay. So, this is the story. Winter's Gibbet is a monument to murder. In 1792, William Winter broke into old Margaret Crozier's home at, and now I want to say Raw Pele because that's how it's spelt, but I'm assuming it's Peel because, you know, Pele would be a bit of a strange thing to put in at this point. Um, (laughs) It's 1792 in Newcastle, and yet here's Pele. Anyway, just north of the medieval village of Elton with Jane and Eleanor Clark, William Winter breaks into Margaret Crozier's house. Now, they'd noticed that she rarely had any any visitors, so they could break in, kill her, rob her, and her body wouldn't be found for days. And uh, to be fair, with that in mind, they could have sodded off, and uh, no one would ever know. However, yeah. these people decided that they would stay in the medieval town of Elston, and uh, they would sit on a hillside eat, eating fruit and enjoying themselves, kicking back, laughing about what they've done. You know, we've just killed this old bird. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you might. And as, uh, you do. as you do, a young shepherd spotted them and approached them without being seen. He noticed the unusual knife Winter used to peel his apple and instantly recognized it as belonging to the recently murdered and still undiscovered Margaret Crozier. You might be asking, why on earth does one person understand from a distance? Hang on, I've seen that knife before. But there you go. It's unusual. It's an unusual thing. Maybe at that time, owning knives in in you know this town near Newcastle was of a thing of glory. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I think it still is in some places. It possibly is. Look, have you seen my knife? That's not a knife. It's a spoon. Anyway. <laughs> um, so he also noticed the strange nail-like markings on the sole of the murderer's shoes, so clearly they'd give her a good kick in. Now, the shepherd noticed, uh, notified the police. Uh, I take issue with this. I found this online, and I thought, police, 1792, and you can <laughs> I'm not sure. But 
whatever the 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 con the establishment was at the time, Winter and the sisters that had gone in together to kill Crozier were quickly caught, and thanks to the mainly to the tracks left by Winter's shoes, they were um, they were taken away. And in on the tenth of August, nineteen seventy-two, the three of them were executed at Westgate in Newcastle. Oh. The bodies of the two sisters were given to a local surgery to be dissected for medical science, which I think, well done there, by the way. And uh, the body of William Winter was put inside a gibbet cage and left to rot for all to see on Whisker Shields, in, uh, on Win- Whisker Shields Common, three miles outside of Elsdon. Now, this is the gory bit, if you're ready. Yep, I'm ready. The lifeless body was fed upon by birds, pecking out his eyeballs, feasting on rotting flesh. Insects and maggots would soon infect the corpse and wild animals would come to feed on any meat that would fall from the cage. Eventually, all that left was bones. And these would traditionally have been buried on the spot of the gibbets, but it's believed that his bones were scattered and his skull was sent to a bloke called Mr. Darnell in Newcastle. Don't know who he is, it doesn't explain more. We'll move on from there, but Mr. Darnell may have had it. Maybe there's a family out there that have got this skull already. Now, Winter's Gibbet, as it stands, isn't on the original site. The replica was erected in around 1867, and complete with a wooden body, um, it's, it's now actually just a stone that hangs from it. But the ghost of William Winter is seen quite commonly at this site, uh, which is unusual, as he lost his life somewhere else. And the gibbet was also somewhere else. However, if you uh, are native to the Newcastle area or around there, you might be able to, you will definitely be able to see the monument erected, but also you may also see the ghost of Mr. William Winter, who, uh, yeah, is said to be seen here commonly next to a cattle grid a short distance from the gibbet. Just haunting it day to day, I guess. You know, caught between this realm and the next. Yeah, yeah, had a bit of a, uh, a disturbing end, didn't he? It didn't. Say it wasn't particularly nice. But then, no. what he did wasn't nice. So there you go. Yep, yep. All all swings and roundabouts. Now, what, um, what have you got for me, Steve? I'm ready. Right. Well, just before I get on with my with my one, it's interesting you're saying because obviously where that is, it's it's a, it's a an area in Newcastle. Uh, it's a site that you know a lot of people can readily get to. So, um, if you're listening to this, and uh, obviously each week we usually mention a, a couple of spirits of the week. They're always within the UK, and they're usually at sites that a lot of people can access. If you're near any of these. And you manage to get a picture, not necessarily of the of the spirit, um, but uh, you know if you do, that's great. But if you're at these sites, uh, feel you know feel free to have a little investigation and stuff, and, and please take some pictures and uh, and tag us on social media. We're on Instagram at British Haunting and Facebook at British Haunting, and it'll be really great to see uh, see you know what you've seen and your experience of these particular sites. But moving on, um, Dan. I've got an absolute porker for you this week. I'm ready. Um, I, I, I've got someone who goes by the, na- the by the nickname the Dragon. How cool does that sound? That is a great name. You've got you've brought Bruce Lee, have you? Uh, nearly, nearly. It's nearly um, Bruce Lee. It's nearly Bruce Lee. Now we know that Bruce Lee uh, isn't English, so he or from the UK at least. Yeah, he wasn't going to make it. 
why on this podcast. So we've got the next best thing of Sir Francis Drake. Now, I will take contention with the idea that Bruce Lee wasn't British. I think he was. I mean, have you seen the, uh, I don't know, one of the movies where he's like, call blimey, Gaffner, I'll cut your head off. <laughs> I, I, yes and no. Uh, we may be talking and thinking about the same film, or you may have just had too much meds this week. There's no such thing. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Sir Francis Drake. He had. He was the original to have the uh, the nickname of the Dragon. Uh, he uh, he was around from 1563 to 1596. So he, he wasn't he wasn't on Earth too too long. However, uh, he did get a lot of stuff done during his time. He was uh, perhaps most famous for his circumnavigation of the world between 1577 and 1580. Um, and he was an English sea captain and explorer. Um, uh, basically, though, he's, he was also famous for losing a massive battle of battleships against the Spanish Armada, gutted. Um, he, uh, he died in 1596 of dysentery. What a shit death. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I couldn't resist that one. Sorry. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. So, you know, because all of that, although his, his life was interesting, you know, he died of dysentery, which he was a sailor, essentially. So, you know, uh, it's fairly common. But here's where it gets interesting. He was buried at sea in full armour and placed in a lead-lined coffin. And it's never, ever been found. Um, Dan, I have a sinking feeling about this one. Uh-huh. Him and Osama bin Laden. Yes, yeah. That's, that's two people gone in a lead-lined coffin. Um, see you later. So, uh, see you later. Uh, so, ghost sightings. Interestingly, um, and, you know, this is obviously with, uh, with uh, your one as well. They're, they're not always where... He died. So um, obviously he died at sea in a random place on the ocean and was uh, obviously, as we say, he was put in a lead line coffin. So we don't know where exactly that was, but uh, he we, we know that it was in Portobello, Spain, in that region. And that's as much as we've got. He drowned in mushrooms. He, pretty much. He, he died in a giant Portobello mushroom in Spain. Oh, and this is Portobello with, Portobello with one L and not two L's. Oh, Portobello mushrooms have two L's? I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. But the the sightings have happened in his English home at Buckland Abbey in Devon. Um, His his ghost is believed to ride across Dartmoor in a black coach driven by 12 goblins, no less, and pursued by a pack of baying dogs. Now, if you're thinking this sounds a little familiar, um, then you've probably... um, had a, a broader experience of Eng- English literature because um, The Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle, a very, very famous book and film, uh, is said to have been inspired by this haunting story. So uh, if you've read Hound of the Baskervilles or again watched the film or anything like that, it was inspired by the uh, the ghost of Sir Francis Drake. Um, but I'm going to leave old Drake's story on this rather chilling note because, you know, all of that kind of, Sort of has some kind of sense to it but um they say that when he was alive that locals believed he had supernatural powers there's not too much information as to why but they believed he had supernatural powers including the ability to speak to the dead which uh, on this week's theme is uh, quite intriguing and that his defeat against the spanish armada which he was most famous for was due to him making a pact with the devil how about that dan 
It sounds good. I mean, how do you? I have a couple of questions. One of them is, how do you get twelve goblins? Um, usually, I have an answer for most things, but on this one, I'm not entirely sure. Goblins do, is quite precise, isn't it? It is it very precise. Donkeys. It could have been anything. Yeah. Do you put an advert out? <laughs> well, th this might be one of the things why you know um, the locals believed he had supernatural powers. You know, and that there was something a bit amiss are about you, him. Are you saying he, he didn't have to put an advert out? No, I don't think he did. I think he already had twelve goblins, and that's why the locals went. He might have some supernatural powers. Look at him showing off his goblins again. <laughs> there he goes pulling his sleigh. Um, first it was the fair jacket now it's the goblins honestly where will it end <laughs> yeah and uh when uh, this is obviously sir francis drake and i don't know if you're you're up on your pop culture dad but it, i forgot to mention at the beginning it isn't drake as in the uh, popular rap artist <laughs> are you sure because that would make this whole story so much better I'd never really thought about how Drake, the rapper and hip hop artiste, was also an English sea captain and explorer, <laughs> and lost the battle against the Spanish Armada. He's he's got around a bit, that guy. Shouting, "I sunk your battleship!" <laughs> Where's my fucking goblins gone? <laughs> okay, I've only got eleven. Where's Nigel? Nigel. <laughs> and on that note uh, we shall end Spirit of the Week and that'll be until next week we'll bring you more but uh, stay tuned uh, as we bring you the next part and final part of this uh, this podcast where it gets a little bit dark and a little bit chilling we're looking at types of people who can talk to the other side and this time we're going to be exploring priests exorcists and possibly children mm -hmm. stay tuned You are listening to the British Haunting Podcast, where this week we are investigating um, talking with the dead. After last week uh, looking at an introduction to ghosts and demons, this week we're placing a particular emphasis on people who might be able to engage with those entities or be more susceptible to um, their, uh, their effects, their communication, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, we, we've to give you a bit of a recap, we've looked at um, uh, perhaps more familiar forms such as psychic, mediums, uh, clairvoyance. Uh, we've also looked at people who pursue uh, ghosts and other entities such as uh, paranormal investigators, aka ghost hunters. And uh, we're going to wrap it up by looking um, at priests and exorcists, which are often the same thing, um, and possibly even children. Um, so just want to uh, make a point about the uh, the spiritual realm um usually has a particular emphasis on uh, demonic or non-human entities activity etc that always almost always comes back to a religious grounding um i holy water a crucifix and a priest religious uh, you know a religious authorized individual are usually the keys to solving a haunting issue um so essentially paranormal investigation with the added bonus of being able to genuinely uh, do something about it. Um, give you a quick introduction, though. Uh, priests and other religious leaders are recognised as having a closer affiliation to the world of the spiritual than most. Although technically any religious individual can access these channels, so to speak, it's perhaps more likely that the priest's authority serves as a spiritual energy 
um, as such, and is more likely to attract the attention of spirits um, that we probably talk about on here. And possibly even the uh, spirits of the week of uh, William Winter and Sir Francis Drake, who we've just discussed. Uh, in some religions, an exorcist uh, is a person who is believed to be able to cast out the devil or uh, perform uh, the ridding of demons or other supernatural beings who are, might be an alleged to have uh, possessed a person, a building or even an object. An exorcist can be um a specially prepared or instructed person, uh, which could include, among other things, a priest, a nun, a monk, a witch doctor, a psychic, geomancer, or as you discussed earlier on, Dan, a, a shaman. Yeah. Yeah. They were pretty good. I, I enjoyed that bit of the podcast. I, I, I did as well. Um, the, uh, with Again, with, you know, with, exploring these different elements um it, it really uh, that we perhaps might not always think of immediately when we're looking at hauntings and stuff you know for for example we often think of um a lot of people think of the um, immediate things that they see on tv so it might be you know paranormal investigators or priests going in performing exorcisms and they perhaps not always aware that there's this really broad and extensive cultural history to the idea of um of uh, performing exorcisms and communicating with those those uh, spirits, as, as Dan discussed earlier on, uh, informing us more um, in depth about uh, shamans and shamanism. Um, but contrary to popular belief, going back to the uh, the priests uh, and uh, performing as exorcists, contrary to popular belief, not every priest operates as an exorcist. So they're all capable of, um, you know, performing sort of blessings or conducting exorcisms, but there are spe uh, specific roles within different church bodies. Um, they usually select the, uh, the the church bodies usually select individuals who display particular gifts um, to become exorcists, or if there's a, um, a particular calling. There are the processes of um, of selection, um, but almost always are ordained or at least approved by the established church. Um, uh, for example, Ed and Lorraine Warren. So um, the, the main established church bodies that I'm referencing are usually uh, Catholic or Anglican. Um, and Ed and Lorraine Warren were just essentially uh, normal lay churchgoers, um, but they were recognised for having extraordinary gifts and were authorised by the church to conduct many, many exorcisms. Um, examples of current exorcists, um, there, there's many, but include... Uh, prominent ones such as Father Gary Thomas. Uh, Gary is the mandated exorcist for the Diocese of San Jose in California. Uh, in, in 2005, his bishop, the uh, Reverend Patrick Joseph McGrath, uh, asked him to take his training in Rome for the rite of exorcism. Uh, in Rome, um, Gary Thomas, Father, I should say, Father Gary Thomas uh, apprenticed himself to Father Carmine de uh, Philippis, a veteran Italian exorcist, and arguably, probably, I'd say, the world's most famous exorcist, really. Uh, that's Carmine de Philippis. It's worth having a Google. Um, Gary, uh, I called him Gary like I know him. Gary stated, uh, Father Gary stated that his eyes were open to the reality of evil as never before. Uh, his training was the subject of the 2010 book, The Right, The Making of a Modern Exorcist by Matt Baglia. Um, and it was also, you're perhaps more familiar with it, when I mentioned it was at, the whole story was based uh, uh, in the film, uh, the, the 2011 would, 
2011 Hollywood movie um, based on the book, which is called The Right, uh, starred Anthony Hopkins. I don't know if you've seen that, Dan. I have not. It's not my uh, it's not my area of expertise, I have to say, but Anthony Hopkins would bring me in, I suppose. He's yes. a sort of, you know, quite happy. Silence of the Lambs and all that. That's the same person, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, so it, it, there's some. I won't go into it now, but there's some uh, interesting stories actually from Anthony Hopkins about when he was uh, filming that uh, that actual movie, um, and uh, those are worth googling. He, let's just say he had some. Uh, he's got a faith himself. Uh, he had some extraordinary experiences just filming that movie. So um, there was obviously something they were tapping into there. Um, Dan, I believe you've got a uh, uh, a little. Uh, story about exorcism for us this week yeah so i mean uh this is one that people out there who are listening might know already it's, it's sort of well known in a sense um however i'd not heard of it and uh so again i'm gonna take you up north steve are you ready to go up north Dan, I feel like I'm permanently up north when I'm talking to you. Right. Well, this does involve some northern accents as well. So more northern than what I'm using right now. So because we're going across from where I'm from, from East Yorkshire to West Yorkshire, and we're going to a place called Osset. Oh, I'm I'm familiar with that. You are? Yeah. Yeah. Osset. Okay. You might be familiar with all of this. I don't know. No, so, well, I mean, I'm, 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 I should clarify. I'm not familiar with the area myself, as in I couldn't go in and say, "Oh, yeah, if you just tip left down there, you'll be able to find a post office." It's not like that. Um, I, I found out in recent years that I've actually got some family um, from that way. So, yeah, that's amazing. Maybe this person is. Maybe this all comes full circle. Crikey. I'm, I'm sitting so, tight. Go for it. We're now. ready. So, this yes. is the story. Um, Every time I say that, I think of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, by the way. I, I keep going, <laughs> this is a story, and then wanting to launch into the whole song. And uh, at home, you can launch into the whole song if you like, but maybe you're on, in your own time after this. Anyway, so we're going back to the town of Osset in West Yorkshire, in England. And the 31-year-old Michael Taylor, who is a butcher by trade, but by the time of what we're talking about, he was unemployed and... Uh, by an injury, but also mass unemployment in the country, especially in the north when things are changing and, um, you know, certain places are closing down, industries are, are moving out of the country. And uh, so he falls into some of a depression and him and his wife, Christine, um, so he's 31, she's 29, and they start attending what uh, an area of West Yorkshire called Gorber or Galber this Christian fellowship group where Michael becomes close with the lay preacher in her early twenties, Marie Robinson. Now Marie, I've seen pictures of this woman and I would say she's, she's a taste, you know, it's not her value, but she's a good looking woman, you know, her value is probably as a person, but outside of that, she's also housed in a body that this Michael's attracted to. Now, the the Taylors hadn't been religiously inclined up to this point. I mean, they'd been to church, but generally speaking, they weren't really, you know, they'd attend now and again. But on an urging of a friend, because Michael was quite depressed, they were pretty, uh, you know, they were urged to go to this new uh, group, this Christian fellowship group. Now, they were, incre- they were impressed by things like the every man approach to religion. They were pretty much converted by the first meeting. 
and um, this group, you know, just by the by, they were pretty much interested in faith healing. They sang upbeat Christian songs. They focused on the more supernatural aspects of the Bible, of which you brought up earlier, by the way. Um, You know, they were very much... They were into the more ecstatic element of rather than the really droll and then we're going to do this. It was very much like, you know, clicking and dancing and enjoying yourself. Yeah. Now, uh, over the next few weeks since then, Michael had become an enthusiastic member of the church. He was speaking in tongues. He was volunteering to bring the uh, group meetings into his own home. And him and Christine Taylor, the 20-year-old young lady, the lay preacher, began to grow um, quite close to it. No, Christine Taylor's his wife. I apologize. She was concerned about the amount of time she spent. he was spending with Marie, the sexy lay preacher. And yeah. uh, they were spending time together. They were speaking in tongues together, which out of interest no, I, is, is not a euphemism. I bet they were speaking together in tongues, weren't they? Yes, yes. Um, in, in many ways. I mean, we are talking about um, a uh, essentially you're describing a, a Pentecostal, most likely an evangelical church as well. Uh, so it's very much an outreach and one where they're, they're really tapping into those spiritual gifts. Yeah, in, in West Yorkshire, no less. Um, yes. So, yes, they were speaking in tongues together. Now, I have to stress that actually, while we're we're joking that, you know, speaking in tongues is a euphemism, it's actually very much the opposite. So one day, Michael had realized his full extent of his uh, feelings for Marie. So he went upstairs to confront her about his feelings. He tried to kiss her. He was rejected. And later, when he went downstairs, because he'd gone there to do that, he'd taken her away from the group, and he'd brought her downstairs. And... uh, or, you know, to honor run. And then he rejoined the group later, proclaiming a victory for the Lord when he'd come back and uh, he tried things on. And he'd said uh, he'd over- they had overcome their feelings for each other in this situation. Yeah. And um, so basically he'd been turned down, cock-blocked, yeah. cock-blocked by the person he was trying to get on with. You know, she was like, no. I'm not, I'm not with this, thanks. So having been publicly embarrassed in front of his new social circle and privately shut down by the woman he felt an attraction towards, he uh, he experienced what was described as a sinister transformation. Ooh. Noted below in this account of their meeting by Marie herself, the 20-year-old lay preacher. Now, are you ready for a stunning accent? Uh, I'm ready. This is this is the account she said in court later. I'm ready. I'm ready. I suddenly glanced at Mike, and his whole features changed. He almost looked bestial. He kept looking at me, and there were a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me, and I just started saying over and over again, Jesus. When Chris heard me call in the name of Jesus, she started saying it too, and I firmly believe it was the, it was only by calling his name that I were not killed. So the next day, she went to his house to forgive him, which is, you know, bold, I have to say. Yeah. Because yeah. Can I can I just say very quickly? Yes. Um, just to, obviously, you know, I, I know um, that was a wonderful accent, by the way. Uh, Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, that 
that although it, it obviously it was it was slightly humorous in some ways that this was in a an official court of law, wasn't it? This is uh, you know this is yes, um, and we'll, we'll get to the reason. About... We'll get to the reason soon. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Sorry, carry on. It's okay. So she, I mean, we have to understand, I guess, and what's really not hammered home, and it was an amusing accent, I apologise, it it cut out what was very much a serious situation, is that Michael, at this point, is is described as being sinister in his transformation, and uh, as she says, he's almost bestial, he's very much in a situation where he's he's turned into a different person. So... Uh, the next day, when she decides the next day to go to his house to forgive him and absolve him, we've got to remember she's a 20-year-old woman who's a lay preacher, so she's you know, not really qualified, and she's going over to absolve him of this and, and forgive him on a very human level. It's quite an achievement, really. And they, uh, So anyway, so since then, she goes over, she says, hey, hey up, how are you doing? Uh, sorry about that. I apologize. I don't know why. I must have led you on by accident. I hope you're all right. He's all good, but his his behavior gets worse and worse, and he's really out of character. He, his erratic behavior in the days that follow led the church group to believe that an exorcism was in order. The church believed that he was filled with multiple evil spirits, and the tailors were encouraged to seek help for this. So, on the 5th of October, they summoned the tailors to St. Thomas's Church in Gorba. They met with Peter Vincent and Raymond Smith. They were the preachers. And uh, they began by trying to exercise him. However, he wasn't having it. He was really not in the position to be exercised. He was, and this might be familiar to you, you for you in terms of people that need exercising, but he was screaming, shouting, spitting, cursing, you know, everything you can think of. So they had to restrain him. Classic, classic symptoms. Yeah. They restrained him. They subjected him to a battery of attempts to cast the demons out for him. They burned the tainted wooden cross that he wore around his neck. They screamed at him. They covered him in holy water and continued to exercise him throughout the night. How many hours do you think that they went at it, Steve? Uh, six. You're very close. It was seven. Seven oh, hours. Seven I hours. go for that. Went for the number of man instead of the number of God. There you go. The 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 general sort of time period that they go for is between midnight and seven in the morning, and eventually mm-hmm. they give up. Vincent and Ray, Vin, Vinny and Ray, they're like, this is this is really not working. They've done as much as they can. They testify that they cast out at least 40 demons over the evening, and they only they left behind three, because I guess when you've got 40 and there's three left, they must have been the real stubborn ones. I don't know. But associated with that, with those three, were these three words that have been said over and over again in court and on other podcasts out of interest. Murder, violence, insanity. These are the things yeah. left behind. Michael himself, when interviewed, would explain, and here's another cracking accent for you, it was a long night, 
They danced around <laughs> me and burned my cross because that was tainted with the evil. They had me in the church all night. Look at my hands. I was banging on the floor. The power was in me. I couldn't get rid of it, and neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled, compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house. Now, I, I, I tempered that a little bit. I was very tempted to go full Southern Baptist, I have to say. Oh, okay. I was compelled <laughs> by Jesus. However, <laughs> again, detracting from how he felt. It's probably a good job you didn't go there, to be fair. <laughs> Maybe so. It would detract from the seriousness of it all. So, a few hours later, police were called to the Taylor's home investigating a murder. Ooh. Michael had been discovered roaming the streets naked, covered in blood, and screaming about the devil. Inside the family home, Christine's body laid mutilated. So this is his wife. Her face was torn away from her skull. Her eyes were gouged out. Her tongue was ripped from her mouth. And chunks of flesh and spatters of blood were on the walls. Other reports suggest that her face was almost ripped off. The family dog had been strangled to death and has had its limbs ripped from its body. Bloody hell. A quote from the inspector emerging from the scene. Now again, back to the accents. He said, You don't want to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before, and I've seen a few. It's the wife. She, <laughs> she's got no. She's, he's ripped at her, son. It's a right mess in there. There's not much of her left. You don't want to see it, <laughs> eh? And then I was... <laughs> Oh dear! You won't want to go in there. What that shit all? That is our fucking mess. <laughs> now, would you just to finish this off? Would you like to veer off into what the modern criminal justice system thought of this? Uh, why not go for it? Michael's trial, trial, not trowel, trial, found him not guilty by reason of insanity. And a clinical psychologist testified that his actions were direct result of intense psychological torment he'd experienced the previous night. Michael would spend four years in custody, two years in the high-security Broadmoor Hospital, and two more at Bradford Royal Infirmary before being released to the public. None of the members of the church faced any charges in the death of Christine Taylor and also noted mm-hmm. that the man in charge of the exorcism, Reverend Peter Vincent, got a promotion the next year. Oh, Michael himself spent a little time in the criminal justice system in reality but was found again to have issues and detained in a psychiatric unit, unit years later for assaulting an underage girl at the time experiencing very similar symptoms to previous when he had assaulted yeah. his wife. Now, maybe, just maybe, keep this to yourself, but a new exorcism might be in order. Uh, possibly. Possibly, if he's experiencing that. Well, mind you, they, he, he never technically got rid of those last three demons, did he? So It doesn't appear that way. No, and, uh, you know, they, I guess they can go into some form of, uh, some form of hibernation, but... Um, yeah, as, as far as I know, I think uh, Taylor is still alive, isn't he? Uh, I believe he may be, yes. Yes, yeah, being uh, detained in uh, uh, an undisclosed location, and he's uh, in one of one of the uh, 
most uh, secure facilities within the UK. Quite a, a tragic story, though, isn't it, overall? Uh, it is very much a tragic many, many. story, and uh, you can take your perspectives about whether it's a mental health issue, whether it's a, uh, whether it's a haunting issue. Mm, yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, definitely uh, disturbing and and tragic. Um, it's a little bit a little bit hard to link on to our our, our final uh, our, our, just our final little foray into uh, this uh, this week's podcast of looking at you know uh, different uh, people who are perhaps more susceptible to these spirits. Obviously, we had the case there of Michael Taylor, who uh, through one means or another uh, opened himself up to spiritual. Uh, gifts if we want to call that spiritual contact and through one means or another possibly possibly uh, enabled some kind of uh, otherly spirit or in this case a, a demon to to actually uh, take over his his existence and his being uh, but we can't finish talking about who often speaks with the dead without of course mentioning children there are literally thousands and thousands of documented cases of children seeing and engaging with the dead. There are, of course, many theories as to why. Uh, my personal theory is that children haven't developed enough scepticism as their adult counterparts and are therefore more in tune with their spiritual radar as such. Um, even the largest associations of psychologists in both the UK and the USA all remain open to such possibilities uh, because of the sheer amount of accounts. It's important to distinguish on that, though, that they're not saying that all of these children are seeing uh, ghosts, but that they have to, because of scientific um, rule, have to allow for the possibility that, as such. Um, Dan, did you see any ghosts when you were a child? I didn't, but there was a um, there was a house in Hornsey in East Yorkshire that was meant to be haunted. As I believe it had a, a grave in the back garden, so that was the premise. Grave in the garden. That was the premise. Yeah, the idea was it was like a seventeenth, eighteenth century house and uh, had a grave in the garden. So it was rumoured to be haunted for that very reason. I think that's a very good reason. <laughs> it seems so. Um, I mean, what's what also sticks in my mind is that across the road from that was a Methodist church that had a sexy Jesus on the cross outside. So, I mean, I don't oh. know. And again, when I say sexy Jesus, I sort of mean it, you know, one of those um, when you've accidentally made a sexy Jesus. Um, you're gonna have to clarify that. <laughs> well, I, I just mean that when you're when you're making your, I think. I say Methodist, might be Catholic, obviously, because it's iconography. But you've you've got a cross outside, yeah. and you've put up a statuette of a, a Jesus character. Yeah. But you've managed, for some reason, to despite to not necessarily portray the pain that crucifixion would cause. Ah. Uh, but yeah. but some vaguely erotic, sexy Jesus. So. So that's certainly one phrase I didn't think we'd hear this week, but there you go. We bring something new to you each week on British Haunted. So just to clarify, um, my ghost that I saw as a child, which I didn't, by the way, it wasn't sexy Jesus. Yeah. No, but it was a someone who had a grave in their their garden. It could have been. Yeah, some that's something we need to explore further at some point. Uh, but we're going to finish this week's podcast on a little story by one of the US lead US's leading psychologists, uh, a Dr. Rosemary Counter. And uh, this is um, this is from one of her experiences. Bear in mind, this is one of their leading psychologists. And it goes a little something like this. This is her account. 
when my daughter was three years old, she started telling us that she was being woken up in the night by a man who kept tickling her feet. Um, we figured she was just dreaming until we came across an old picture of my grandparents on their wedding day. And my daughter pointed at my grandfather and said, that's him. That's the man who tickles my feet. My grandfather had passed away when I was six. My God. Ow. Yeah, that's uh, that's one to leave you with the tingling. Um, so thank you so much, uh, wonderful listeners, for sticking with us. This has been a long one this week. We had a lot to get through there. Um, sometimes we will be looking at things, one, let's say one particular area in depth and other weeks like this. We, you know, we want to cover a lot um, in, in one hit. Um, and we appreciate that you uh, might listen to this podcast in, in several different uh, stints and uh, and that's all good we really look forward to getting back to you hopefully next week uh, again we are in a state of national lockdown so uh, as much as we're aiming for weekly podcasts at the moment it may or may not happen but we'll, we will try to if you can follow us on instagram british haunting on uh, facebook british haunting and if you could like uh, uh, the podcast uh, on the podcast platform that you're listening to if you could give us a review make it five stars that would be so appreciated and maybe share it as well this is a a a very new podcast as you know and any kind of coverage you're sharing would be greatly appreciated have you enjoyed this week dan i have i was just looking at the calendar and seeing that in two in three weeks so from today in three weeks it would be the 6th of december and in theory we would be out of lockdown so we could do this in the same room oh we look forward to that um we it's been uh again uh we we've had to uh we've had to do many alterations this week to bring you this podcast where we can both do it um but we've we hopefully we've pulled it off hopefully you've stuck with us um again thank you so much for listening and hopefully we will join you next week again for the british haunting podcast